You're listening to the Gordon Damer Show podcast on 98.7 ESPN. Good morning. Welcome in. It is the Gordon Damer Show. It is 98.7 FM ESPN New York. Whole lot to do on this uh, Tuesday edition. We take you, of course, up until 6 o'clock. So 60 minutes to run through it all. Of course, the number you know. It's still working. It's still operational. Not postponed. Not canceled. 1-800-919-ESPN. Uh, of course, the, on Twitter and on Instagram, you can find me, at Gordon Damer. And today is the day. Today is the final time we will be debating the rewatchable movie bracket. Our final is now set. It is now established. We know who is going to be facing off against who. A worthy final, I think. Maybe not the one that I would have picked beforehand. Although, for all the criticism, you know, I like to, maybe it's watching uh, Jordan and uh, this uh, Last Dance documentary that uh, I'm fueling now myself on all the criticism that you receive. For all the people who told me, oh, you did this wrong, you got that wrong, everybody pointing out everything I did wrong. Nobody's saying, hey, you know what, actually, I did a pretty good job with this. I think you got all the teams and all the uh, the matchups pretty well. No, nobody says that. At the end of the day, we have two number one seeds facing off against each other for the title of the inaugural rewatchable movie bracket. So we'll set up what the finale is. We'll open up the poll a little bit later. But, of course, let's start with the headlines, the sports headlines. And I guess the biggest headline yesterday, you heard it kind of in the promo there, legendary coach, Hall of Fame coach Don Shula passing away at the age of 90, all-time winningest coach, coach of the only perfect season in NFL history. And you have to keep in mind, maybe this is news to a lot of the younger listeners, or maybe you don't even have to be that young to know this, but he did that, had a perfect season the 72 Dolphins after losing his starting quarterback to injury and still guided the team through a perfect regular season, won the Super Bowl that year, guided the Dolphins to five Super Bowls, won two of them, lost the last two. I guess maybe, uh, you know, his, his, uh, reputation maybe with the younger fans who didn't live through the heart of his career would have been a little bit uh, brighter perhaps if he had been able to want, win one of those final two, either against Washington or against the Niners. All you really need to know about the greatness of Don Shula was two, two stats, I think, kind of tell you all you need to know. A, coached for 33 years and had two losing seasons. You saw that in a lot of the stories that, uh, you know, mentioned uh, about his passing yesterday. The other one was, think about how great Bill Belichick has been, right? Basically, in his time in New England, for 20 years, wins at least 10 games a year. At least. And yet, he is still probably at least five years away from passing Don Shula. I think he's 55 wins away from Don Shula in terms of all time. That's a lot of wins. I mean, it feels like Bill, the fact that he's not passed them already is pretty impressive. And, uh, you know... The outpouring of, um, you know, admiration for Don Shula was quite impressive yesterday, but uh, certainly some sad news this, yesterday. But, you know, at the age of 90, I think you kind of look back to whoever it is who passes and look at the legacy that they put forth in their time on this earth. And uh, certainly Don Shula was able to do that. Uh, the second headline that came up yesterday, 
was something that was certainly more positive. Thursday night, that is when the NFL will unveil the schedule for this year. So that is Thursday night. I think it's at 8 p.m., the official announcement. So I would say if you're planning your own calendars or your own schedules, I would say by 5 a.m. on Friday, that's when most Jet fans will already be complaining about how hard their schedule is, how unfair their schedule is. Usually the schedule release is not something I get too worked up for. But, of course, with this new normal and the no sports, basically, uh, and and hopefully it won't be too much longer before we have to say that, uh, this year I'm pretty worked up for it. I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty worked up for just the, 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 the prospect of the NFL season getting here at some point. Like, you always are looking forward to the NFL schedule, but certainly with the uncertain times that we live in, the fact that there's something that you can point to on the schedule. Now, it's not close. It's not around the corner by any stretch. But at least you can point to on the schedule and say, all right, we still have that. Nobody has canceled that as of yet. So that is something to get worked up for this year. And again, I would say by 5 a.m. Uh, on Friday, Jet fans will be uh, complaining about how, how the NFL has done them wrong. It's, a, it's like Cal Ripken playing games. Every single year you can count on it. The schedule gets released. Jet fans complaining about how the schedule is unfair to them somehow. Another year in a row. Wow, what a shock. Uh, and then I guess the third headline, it's not really a news headline, but I guess what would you say? It's a piece of interest. Rumors yesterday started to circulate, I would say, that Major League Baseball could start its regular season relatively soon, as soon as June 1st. And the way I guess this kind of got started, Trevor Plouffe, who uh, played for the Twins, I'm not sure if he's broadcasting now or whatnot, but his he, he sent out a tweet yesterday uh, which read, I just heard from multiple sources that on June 10th, spring training two will start. July 1st will be opening day, and all teams will be playing at their home ballpark. So, I mean... Not that he is, you know, Jeff Passan, but I'm sure that, uh, you know, Trevor Plouffe, as a former major leaguer, has plenty of contacts within the game, still guys who are playing the game, and has a pipeline to information. Now, it wasn't announced by Major League Baseball, but the fact that it's out there and someone from someone who at least has some sort of connection to the game uh, took that as a, as a good sign. Of course, <laughs> in these day, in this day and age, it doesn't take long for you to get something that is positive and immediately follow it up with something negative. Now, our Keith Law came out and, and shot it down pretty much uh, immediately. He said it was just a rumor. It's not a fact and, and, uh, not to get too worked up about it. Uh, and look, it, it's not a fact. And Keith is completely right. It's, it, Major League Baseball has not announced it. Whatever Major League Baseball is working on, it is still in the formative stages. But look, if Major League Baseball is going to have a season this year, which it certainly seems like, at least as of right now on May 5th, all accounts are they still plan on doing that. I think that this is probably what it is going to look like. Now, the problem is they got to get moving on this fairly soon, right? Like it's it's May 5th already. And they haven't announced anything for June 1st as of yet. And as we have seen with this this pandemic, it feels like the days take forever sometimes. But the calendar 
is kind of flying by. So I would think that if you are Major League Baseball, you have to kind of – to have a season, it has to be somewhat representative. It can't be that you play 20 games. So I would think that you're going to have to – at some point in July, if Major League Baseball is going to have a season, they would have to be playing games by July. I don't think that you can start in August, play August, September, October, and then move on to the playoffs. You know, 65 games is not really a representative Major League Baseball season. Now, if you're saying that it's not, you know, you're not going to crown a World Series champion, that you're just going to play games for some tournament for this year because of the situation, okay, fine. But if you're going to have what is called a Major League Baseball season and crown a World Series champion, I would think that you're going to have to be playing games of some sort in July. Now, I'm not saying July 1st. But again, as I said, the, the months seem like they're kind of, you know, the calendar's kind of flying by here. So while Trevor Plouffe might uh, have been duped on whatever sources he has, saying that July, June 10th is going to be the start of the second spring training and the opening day will be July 1st, maybe that's not, uh, not going to be the case. But I would think that something in the ballpark would have to be around that time to have what you would think is a Major League Baseball season. So that is uh, certainly out there as well if you want to get in on that. 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. But coming up, I am all caught up on The Last Dance. I don't know if maybe you got to see uh, Episodes 5 and 6. I had seen Episode 5. We kind of broke that down yesterday. I would say, you know, not to be negative Nancy, Debbie Downer, I would say that, that Episode 5 was probably my least favorite of the six that I have seen so far. Didn't really seem to have a real strong like narrative in the episode. Seemed like a hodgepodge of things bouncing around. Not really a uh, a, a, a narrative thread that connected them all together. But episode six, I thought, was really really strong, and that's the one that, of course, dealt with the Knicks and Bulls rivalry. The much dreaded episode for Knicks fans, getting to relive the history that was the Knicks and Bulls rivalry. And it started out so well in the episode. Knicks had a nice 2-0 series lead in 93. What could possibly go wrong? So uh, we'll touch on that coming up. There's a report in the New York Post about the Knicks' interest in Tom Thibodeau. Rich Semini, an interesting tidbit about the Jets in their running game yesterday and what the uh, focus will be moving forward, that something doesn't really connect. But that's not really that much of a surprise, uh, maybe when talking about the Jets and, and Adam Gase. So we'll touch on that, too. And then, of course, today is the final day of our rewatchable movie bracket. So we have to uh, set up the matchup. We will open up the voting. So lots to do on this Tuesday morning. We kind of touched on the uh, headlines of the day yesterday. Now, something we did not touch on in the show yesterday was episode two on Sunday night, episode six overall of uh, The Last Dance, and I, I said that episode five, while it was still entertaining, I, I wasn't like I was uh, losing interest in the series or whatnot. I didn't think that it was the strongest episode so far. I'd probably say it was the weakest episode so far, just because it didn't really seem to have uh, that thread that kind of tied everything together. It was much more of a of a mishmash of topics that, while interesting in and of themselves, they didn't really necessarily all kind of fit together as well as some of the other episodes, which have fit really well together. But episode six, I think, kind of got back to the strength of the series and the strength uh, of the story of Michael Jordan. And I got to be honest, you know, we, we got to kind of had a tip off that after episode, I guess it was four aired, that the following week was going to touch on 
the Knicks and Bulls rivalry. And with knowing how that turned out, that was not something that I was really looking forward to. The pain of going back to those times where every year you were kind of getting your hopes up. Is this the year the Knicks are finally going to overtake the Bulls? And that's the thing that the Bulls have over everybody else. You know, back then it was a time when, you know, one team was on the top of the mountain and you could see the next team that was coming and it was whether or not that team could knock the champion off, right? The Celtics were up on the mountain. The Pistons were able to knock them off. The Bulls overtook the Pistons and the Knicks were the next, you know, seemingly in line, at least in the Eastern Conference. So... And they were never able to really get over that hump the one year, obviously, that Jordan uh, left. Uh, that They were able to do it then, but that doesn't really count. And maybe it would have counted if they had won a, a title. But so I was, I was kind of dreading watching this episode. And I got to be honest with you, I didn't think it was as bad as I thought it was going to be going in. Like, you know the story, but what you were really – I guess what I was really looking for was the commentary – of either Pippen or Jordan or, you know, someone associated with the Bulls, even Phil Jackson, saying something along the lines of, you know, we knew the Knicks were never going to beat us. We, I guess the, the, the most salt that you could have in the wound there was Jordan saying, well, when they were pay, playing at their best and we were playing at our best, it wasn't really all that close. And it was a close series, but what you really, I guess my main takeaway from watching the six episodes so far and the Knicks uh, part of that universe was that while the, the Bulls were the Knicks rival, the Bulls didn't look at the Knicks so much as their rival, right? Like everybody, when you're on the pinnacle, like the, the Bulls were, and they were at the top of the world winning three in a row at that point. Everybody is gunning for you. So it was not, you know, I don't know if it really was looked at all that differently than moving past the Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals and moving on to the Suns to win another NBA title and win three in a row. So it was not as as salty as I thought it was going to be, especially considering how contentious the the series were back then that – you know, the, the arrogance and rightfully so that, that Jordan carried with himself and that uh, Pippen kind of carried with himself. It was not as salty and, and the comments were not as, as, as painful looking back. And although the, the footage itself, they did not spend any time, thankfully, on the dunk of uh, John Starks over Horace Grant. It was not over Michael Jordan, as, as Nick fans will let you know, um, or as, as Nick fans believe it was. So it was not as bad as I thought. Now, that combined with reading the story yesterday in the Post about Charles Oakley and his blaming of Patrick Ewing, I think at this point it's safe to say that Charles Oakley to the Knicks is what Goose Gossage is to either the Yankees or modern Major League Baseball, right? Like anything – it's almost like if you're writing about that topic – and you want to get someone that will basically, you know, give you the sports equivalent of get off my lawn. You go to Charles Oakley and he will give you some reason why, you know, this person was to blame and that person was to blame. And I loved Oakley as a player, but it's kind of sad to see now that, you know, everything about him is 
you know, how he, he's blameless in the situation and it's this person's to blame and that person's to blame. And I guess the, the greatest person in his crosshairs is Patrick Ewing. And um, look, Patrick was not able to ever get the Knicks over the top. And when the Knicks won the draft lottery and you knew that they were going to draft Patrick Ewing, the issue was not, you know, the thought back then, I think, at least it was for me, was not that, hey, Patrick's going to come here and the Knicks are going to finally win a title as much as it was. I think the expectation was the Knicks are now going to be the front runner and they're going to be this this great kind of dynasty team. And they were never able to 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 get there. Uh, I don't really look at it so much. I mean, it's a failure for Patrick because he was the star player. But the problem was when you look at the, the I mean, you look at the talent on the two teams, the Bulls and the and the Knicks. It's not even close. You know, the Knicks were were trying to, you know, trying to bully up and and, and doing it with a lot of, you know, not premier players. You know, they, I, I like the guys that the Knicks had on their team back then. I mean, I was a fan of the team. I I was rooting for them to finally overtake the Bulls. But it wasn't like they, you know, they couldn't match up in terms of talent. So Jordan saying it, and it's painful to hear it him say it because it's true. That's that's where the pain comes from. But when the Bulls were at their best, and the Knicks were at their best, it wasn't close. The Bulls were the better team. So it was not as pain. I, I'm sure that you know maybe episodes seven and eight might focus even more on the Knicks, you know, because it wasn't just 93, obviously, and the Knicks were trying forever to get over the hump of the Bulls and were never able to do so, but nobody was able to do so. And that's kind of, you know, the, the point of the whole series. You know, yesterday, or the, the episode six kind of focused on Charles Barkley never being able to win a title because of being stopped by Michael Jordan. And Patrick Ewing is in that same boat, two great all-time players who were never able to, to win a title because they had to go up against Jordan. Now... A couple other things that I want to touch on NBA. We, we were focusing on the story, or not real story, but the tidbit about possibly Major League Baseball coming back and, and the timeline that that would be. Yesterday, Brian Winhorst was on, what was the name of the podcast? Hoop Collective. Hoop, the Hoop Collective podcast? Yes. And he talked about a possible return of the NBA and if you were looking, you know, Trevor Plouffe kind of gave you some hope if you're a baseball fan. Brian Winhorst uh, is not going to give you that same hope. In fact, he's going to give you the reality. Here's Brian Winhorst. The NBA right now is not interested in using any resources whatsoever to get back playing again because they want to protect the people who need those resources. And to a second extent, they absolutely do not want to have even the minor appearance that they're using resources. The second thing I think that is important is, you know, even though Tim and I did a lot of work to figure out the size of the bubble, which was bare minimum 1,500 people to bring back all 30 teams and finish all the regular season games and playoffs. And to get to that 1,500 number, we went through a lot of work. And the reason we need it to be that small is because that's what the experts and the doctors say you need. And right now, the NBA is not interested in having a bubble where the players have to be isolated from their families and their friends. I don't know where we are, but I do not see the NBA returning in the short term if they stick to those two policies. Okay, so there you go, Brian Winors. And and look, it's it's one of those things where you you when you're just sitting there and you're just thinking to yourself, "Well, why can't they just do this? Or why can't they just do that?" But the problem is as soon as you start to think of the logistics and in any way of what it would actually take to get 
just the bare minimum, as he's talking about, up and running. Let's just say they come back and start the playoffs right away. You're still talking about hundreds of people and how you are able to do that in a safe environment, given the state of the world right now, seems a, a bit of a, of a stretch. Now, one of the things that's been out there for, for Major League Baseball, for, for the NBA, has been this, uh, this idea of putting everybody in the bubble. So here's Brian Windhorst of the things they would have to figure out before Disney or Vegas would be able to be a feasible idea. I think there's a decent chance they're going to have some season played. But when I see folks talk about like, oh, it's going to be in Las Vegas or, oh, it's going to be at Walt Disney World or, oh, it's going to be in this place or that place. That's I think that's more enjoyable to talk about because a lot of us know Las Vegas. We know Disney World. We we, we can envision how it would go. But until these primary issues get resolved, I don't care what your bubble structure is. Um, I don't see how they're going to do it. And I, I wish I, I wish I could feel better about it, but I literally spent with him a month on this. All right. So there's Brian Woodhorse. And look, I, I mean, I think he's absolutely right. It's all, it would be great for him and it would be great for everybody to kind of paint this rosy picture of, oh, no, it's going to be back. Don't worry about it. I, I, given where the NBA was in their schedule, where we are right now in the calendar year, it's going to be very difficult to and he's more optimistic i think even than i am because as soon as this happened and as soon as i guess it was what march 11th so we're almost coming up on two months now and we're no closer than we were then if i would have told you back on march 11th we would be sitting here on may 5th and still literally basically nothing has happened in the positive in terms of of moving closer to to resuming the season I, I mean, you wouldn't, you would have thought I was probably nuts, but that's where we're standing. So I, I, I thought I came up with this idea. Maybe not, but the idea of, look, if you really want to have a resolution to this season, maybe the best thing to do, because if you're talking right now about, all right, well, we're going to have to finish this year. And how does that impact next season? Maybe the idea is whenever this thing is cleared up, what you do is rather than restarting next season, uh, restarting with a new season, you conclude this season next year. I think that that's what he's talking about in this final cut. Idea to restart fall and continue into next season. So here's Brian Windhorst one more time. One of the things that has been discussed is, all right, why don't we just shut down for now and start again in the fall and start by picking up this season and finishing it and then proceeding right into the next season? Um, basically having a year with no off season. Now there would be some complications with that, with, with the draft and free agency. Uh, you could maybe have the draft over the summer and then the players wouldn't play right away. Um, while you finished my guess in that scenario is it would just be a playoff only. Um, but as a, as a total one-off sort of solution, why not just say, Hey, listen, let's just let everything calm down. All right, so there you go. There's Brian Winhorst. Uh, I, look, I, I don't think it out of all the possibilities, resuming this year anytime soon, unless you're going to say that next year you are going to play a 50 game schedule starting on January 1st. I mean, you have to give the players some off season, and you have to give fans some sort of break in. But I don't think you can ever go from one season 
directly into another season. It's just too much. Like, what's the point of winning the championship if in like a week later or a month later you're saying, all right, let's go find out who the next champion is. It doesn't really seem like that, that, that would be a good thing just for the viewing public, for the fans themselves. I think you need to give everybody a little bit of a break, never mind the players themselves who have gotten back into this, this routine and this grind of the playoffs to be all of a sudden jumping right back into things right away. My idea was much more of you just combine two seasons, that whenever you are able to come back, you combine what you've played this year with what you still to go, and then that's the following season, and it's all of a sudden instead of you know the the 2000 uh, you know the 2020 season or the 2020 2021 season, it's all of a sudden three years combined. I think that that's a more feasible idea than trying to to work something out where you're you're squeezing games in this year because the playoffs again the NBA playoffs take forever. And to be able, you would be half taught. I mean, I don't know, even if it was just sweeps and you weren't cutting down playoff series, you would be playing 50 something games. It's hard to figure out a way you'd be able to play one game right now, never mind 50. Not bunny. That's one deep to left field. Going back, Davis. Trap. Whoa. See ya. A home run, Torres. His first big league blast. Yeah, the first home run of the major league career of Glaber Torres two years ago. You know, sometimes I I delude myself into thinking, yeah, you know what, I don't miss baseball that much. And then you hear a call like that by Michael Kay, courtesy of yes, and you realize, oh, God, we need baseball. back. And look, it's great that ESPN has the South Korean baseball. You can kind of tune it on and and watch some highlights, and it maybe, you know, gives you a little sense of, of normalcy again. But boy, oh boy, do we miss baseball. So your moment of inspiration, I get depressed listening. (laughs) Maybe that's not a good thing for me. Hey, by the way, have I mentioned, if you have a small business and are trying to get the word out that you're still serving the community, let us know. We've had over 350 local businesses reach out. We're sharing their messages. Send an email, very simple, 987ESPN at gmail.com. Let us know your story. We'll pass the word along to our listeners. Again, 987ESPN at gmail.com. Like Steve's Valley Deli, located in Belleville, New Jersey. They're open for delivery and takeout Monday through Saturday, breakfast and lunch. Call them, very simple, 973-759-6300. That's 973-759-6300. I was looking at the post and uh, you know what? We have the rewatchable movie bracket, and today's final is up. It is on Gordon. It's at Gordon Damer on Twitter. Did I send it out? I thought I did. Did I not send it out? Oh boy, the championship round not getting off to the greatest of starts. If I have not sent it out already, apparently I have not sent it out. You already. did. Oh, I did send it out. I just didn't pin it. That's the problem. All right, so uh, we'll pin that to the top of the page. And our matchup, for all the criticism that I've received about, ah, you didn't know to do this right, it's two number one seeds. So I couldn't have gotten it all that wrong. I mean, at the end of the day, you want the, the big ones going up against each other. And there has been no bigger than the number one seed in the drama region, Goodfellas. And Goodfellas matching up against the, the number one diehard. So you can vote on the uh, title matchup, the title championship of the inaugural Gordon Damer Show rewatchable movie bracket. 
look, nothing has been able to slow Goodfellas down. I don't know that Die Hard will be able to do it. Maybe it's just one of these magical runs that we've seen in the NCAA tournament once in a while of teams that just never really get challenged all that much. I remember, I think it was uh, Rick Pitino's uh, Kentucky championship squad that just kind of ran through the tournament, didn't really get challenged all that greatly. But uh, maybe Die Hard, who has faced long odds before, John McClain, all about overcoming long odds. Maybe Die Hard can pull it off. And maybe, maybe the uh, Dark Knight crybabies, who uh, have uh, you know taken their ball and going home for the most part, maybe they will help decide this thing when it's all said and done. But uh, good fellas, die hard. That is the championship title match of the uh, Gordon Damer Show rewatchable movie bracket. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. I did notice two things in the post. A, that uh, they are saying that uh, Tom Thibodeau is going to be the top choice of the Knicks and that they'll get first crack at him as they possibly look for a, a new coach whenever – I don't know, whatever the season is officially over, whatever the offseason officially begins. But uh, that was actually second of the stories in the post that I saw. Did you see that uh, they have actually gotten Nicolas Cage to sign on to play Joe Exotic in a, I guess, an adaptation of the Netflix docuseries uh, Tiger King? I don't know who is going to be writing the series. I don't know who's going to be working on the series, but apparently they've already gotten Nicolas Cage signed on what? to the series. Yeah, Nicolas I'm trying Cage. to picture all the makeup and everything. Well, you know what? Nicolas Cage I don't think is a terrible choice. My pick was uh, Danny McBride, who uh, is a I like that guy. one better. Yeah. That one makes sense. Yeah, I mean, but he's a little bit younger. So I could definitely see being able to make Nicolas Cage into Joe Exotic. The problem with it is... Is that, is there really any story left to play? Like, do we need a, 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 a dramatic series about, I think that the, the, the episodes, the seven episodes, uh, I think that they were able to, uh, to, to work it out. And, uh, I think I, I don't have any unanswered questions about the, the series. The other thing that I noticed, and I've been watching a lot of Netflix, right? Because, you know, once you get done watching the, the last dance, you know, you're looking for something to pop on. I've been going through this series that people have suggested to me, Money Heist, very, uh, very popular series on Netflix. It's a, a Spanish series that is dubbed into English, but it's it, you can tell that they put a lot of work into it. I, I got to be honest, I have not seen what the big hubbub is about. It's not bad per se. It's not terrible. It's not something that I wouldn't ever watch again. I'm watching. It's not the most binge-worthy thing. What you notice now that they have put up the rankings on Netflix, have you noticed this, that they'll tell you what the top 10 shows on Netflix are for that given day? What you really notice is that people that watch Netflix don't really have very good taste. Most of the story, most of the series that are in like the most popular, or at least the ones that I saw yesterday, are terrible. They have a series called Outer Banks. Have you seen this? It's about, I guess, like high school kids living in North Carolina. It, I mean, it, it is so bad. You could have, you could have written this series in like 15 minutes with your buddies and come up with a more cohesive plot and, uh, than, than <laughs> And I, my, I let my wife pick a series for a change, and uh, she would say, she, oh, well, let's watch this Outer Banks. Let's see what this is about. One episode through, I'm like, okay, we saw what it was about, and it was not good. All right, so um, I guess that's the Netflix talk. But uh, let's get to the uh, the Knicks talk because uh, 
it seems like Tom Thibodeau is going to be the the one that the, the Knicks are targeting. And I guess you kind of – it's not really that great of a shock. And there are th- – it, it almost feels like every time the Knicks make a move nowadays, my reaction to it is, well, it's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> That's like the best thing I can generally – ah, it's not the worst thing in the world. So I guess this is one of those that I would say it's not the worst thing in the world because Tom Thibodeau actually has a resume with some success on it, which you really could not say about any other coach that the Knicks have hired really since Mike Woodson left town. I mean, they had a bunch of them now, and it's not like anybody really boils, blows you over with, uh, with, with their, their accomplishments as a head coach. Uh, and he does have a relationship apparently with Leon Rose, which would seem like that's going to be a key. If you hire Leon Rose to be the team president and you know that he's like this mover and shaker within NBA circles, you'd like to think that he's going to be able to tab somebody that he has some sort of relationship with. The problem that I would have with Tom Thibodeau is he doesn't really seem to be a guy who's invested in like this this rebuild, which whoever takes over the Knicks, it's going to be a rebuild. I mean, to me, it makes more sense if you hire Tom Thibodeau, if you already kind of have something established, not necessarily a winning culture, maybe not a, a record of success with the, the talent that you have on your team. But his personality, his style, I can see being a real grind on players who are just trying to establish themselves. I, to me, it would make more sense if the Nets were to, ta- to go after Tom Thibodeau, right? Assuming that both KD and Kyrie Irving would be interested in him if they're not I mean don't don't bother I'll take it back if they're not interested but at least according to the article both KD and Kyrie do have interest and do like Tom Thibodeau that to me would make more sense than the Knicks the Knicks in terms of a a a project they are at ground zero I mean they have one of the least talented rosters in the NBA and Tibbs is not generally a guy that is going to sit back and say, okay, well, let's take a rebuild kind of year and let's see if we can, you know, build guys up and get them into a better, you know, to take guys who are unestablished and raw and kind of develop them into NBA players and, and do that over the course of the year. He's a guy who's, who's going to grind hard right away and wants to establish a winning culture right away. And if you're going that route, what it tells me is the Knicks are going to go the free agent route to kind of build their roster. Now, his failure in Minnesota seems to be tied into primarily that he couldn't get Carl Anthony Towns to really buy into his approach. And I don't know necessarily that his approach is something that a lot of young players are going to buy into. Plus the fact that he was both coach and GM, I think that that's too much for one guy. So uh, to me, look, it's not the worst thing in the world. As I mentioned, the guys that you've had here, right, Derek Fisher, Jeff Hornacek, Fizdale, Kurt Rambis for a, a little interim turn, uh, it's not exactly been murderer's row. Like when you come up with the uh, the Mount Rushdale, uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, Knicks coaches, I don't think that uh, Fizdale, Hornacek, Fisher are going to be on that for sure. But I don't know that if you're talking about what the perfect fit is, I don't know that Tom Thibodeau, even with his his track record, is necessarily the guy that I would be going after. The number one guy on my list, if I were the Knicks, and it might not be the sexiest pick, it might not be the one that they're going to have the most attention for, because it's if you go this route, you're saying to yourself, well, look, we're looking to develop something over the long term. I think that Kenny Atkinson would make a lot of sense. Maybe the the Knicks do have a lot of underappreciated talent on their roster 
that I just don't recognize right now because of the failures in terms of wins and losses. But I think that if there is a lot of untapped potential with these guys, a guy who has had a track record of getting more out of less is Kenny Atkinson. But the problem with that is not the biggest name in the world. And it would almost seem like they're taking a Nets cast off because he got fired there and it didn't work out there. Despite all the, the positive things said when it looked like the Nets were going to be turning some corner here after the, 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 the acquisitions they had in free agency in the offseason. Who's joining us on this Tuesday edition? Uh, the topics that we touched on in the open, obviously the passing of Don Shula yesterday and the, the two factoids to me that tell you all you needed to know about Don Shula's career were A, coach for 33 years, had two losing seasons. And then I think more impressive in a, in a, in a context of for people that are living in the now, all you need to know is that Bill Belichick, in his time in New England, how, how many years has Belichick been there now? 21, 22? I think 21. This will be his 21st season there. He's basically won 10 or more games every single season he's been there. And yet, even with that list of accomplishment, he's still about probably at least five years away from passing Don Shula. I think he's 55 wins away from passing Don Shula for the all-time winning as head coach. Now, five years, I mean, that's a long time. And you'd have to say, if it's 55, right, 11 wins a year, that might be a little optimistic considering the situation he comes into this year facing at quarterback in terms of talent overall. And there's at least a possibility that Bill Belichick, I think he's 70 years old now, that he never passes Don Shula. So that's a, quite an accomplishment for Shula. When you say the all-time winning as coach, you just think, ah, well, all right, yeah, he coached a long time. 33 years is a long time. But still, to have not had anybody come close to that record and 55 wins away is still pretty far away. Um, quite the accomplishment in his career. That was the first headline. The second headline is that Thursday night is when the NFL will unveil their schedule. Not generally something that I think most people, because you know the teams you're going to play. It's just the, the order in which you will play them. But I think the one major takeaway you can have from that, as I mentioned, Friday. I would say Friday by the start of Friday's show for us is when you will know how the Jet fan will approach complaining about their schedule for this year. This year, I'm, I'm sure, I don't know what the list of teams is, but they'll still have to play the Patriots twice. And uh, they won't be happy about that. And the fact that they don't have a schedule in which they don't play, they play zero playoff teams, uh, they will not be happy with that. So, but I would say by Friday, you will have that, that sense. And then the other thing that we were kind of touching on this, um, this tweet sent out by, uh, Trevor Plouffe about Major League Baseball that he had heard from multiple sources that June 10th spring training two will start. And it wasn't very, it was basically after that tweet. Went into the, uh, into the, the world that uh, Keith Law from ESPN basically shot it down, said, no, it's just a rumor. It's not a fact. But I will say this, and it's not a fact. That's clear. Keith is correct. But if Major League Baseball is going to have a season this year, I would think that that's probably what it's going to look like, right? Like, I think for Major League Baseball, the real crisis point is I think you kind of have to be playing some games in the month of July, if you're not playing games in July, I don't know how really conceivably you're going to be able to put out a season this year that's going to be a representative season, right? Like if you're only playing August, September, and October, uh, th- is that really a Major League Baseball season? So while Trevor Pluth's sources might not be correct, I-, I think it's almost like an educated guess that, yeah, I mean, pretty soon 
You're going to have, if there's going to be a season, there's going to have to be some movement somewhere in terms of getting guys back up and running in spring training and, and the time that that's going to take. And July seems like it's really far away away, right? We just started May. But what you've seen is with this, this pandemic is that the, the, while it feels like the days kind of all run together and the time really just kind of stands still because we're all staying at home and, and doing all these things. What you see is that the, the calendar's moving here. And if Major League Baseball, I'm not blaming them. I mean, the, the situation is what it is. They can't do anything right now. They'd love to be able to do something right now. But if they are going to have a season, they're going to have to do it here sooner rather than later. So I don't think it's really out of the out of left field, to steal a baseball phrase, to say that by, what was it, June 10th or whenever it is, they're going to have to have guys starting up spring training again if you want to get games started by July 1st. Now, I don't think July 1st is the drop-dead date. I, I think that if you are playing games somewhere in July, even if it's the second week of July, even if it's maybe the last week of July, I think that you can still maybe put together some form of a season. But um, they are going to have to get moving sooner rather than later. And unfortunately for, for Major League Baseball, for the NBA, for all these sports leagues, it's kind of out of their hands. So I don't know really what else they can do. I'm sure they'd love to be able to give you a plan today that this is when we're going to do it. And But they're not in control. Nobody's in control right now. It's the, the pandemic that's kind of in control. And hopefully things get under control sooner rather than later. The one thing that we did not touch on, and maybe we'll focus on more of this tomorrow, um, Rich Cimini of ESPNNewYork.com, Jet Beat reporter for ESPN, uh, had an interesting uh, little blurb about uh, Adam Gase talking about trying to lessen the load on Livion Bell this year. And he said, quote, I do think we have some guys that can help him maybe lessen the load to where it's not all on him this year. And that, you know, the Jets hope that they have kind of improved, if not fixed, their offensive line. But Adam Gase, this is kind of, if you take a look at his time in Miami, it wasn't that he really, his style is to, and it's the style of most NFL teams now, it's not to just have one guy as your running back and he's your guy. It's to have a stable of guys who kind of rotate in and rotate out and that one guy is not carrying the load exclusively. And I could see a situation where in year two that Adam Gates tries to instill that a little bit more, a little bit more of his philosophy for the Jets in terms of the running game and to take maybe some pressure off Le'Veon Bell. The problem with that is, is that that shows you that you don't need to go out and break the bank on what you thought was some premier running back. And it just shows you, I mean, it's, we said it at the time and it's even more true now. The fact that the Jets allowed Mike McCagnan to run free agency and do so basically completely contrary to what the head coach of the team at the time, not down the road, the head coach at the time, that they weren't on the same page while free agency was going on a year ago, it really is at all time inept. So Adam Gase, who is now looking, all right, yeah, we're going to have this one-two punch rather than having just one guy all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. The problem is, is that you've already paid that one guy and are continuing to do so. All right, I guess that's going to do it for today. We're already out of time. Uh, maybe we'll focus more on this tomorrow. 
Sorry, did not get any calls in today. Just too much stuff to do. But uh, obviously, if you have not already done so, please, the rewatchable movie bracket, Goodfellas, is off to a strong start. But this is very early on. So we'll see if Goodfellas, who has run through this tournament, will turn out to be the uh, the eventual champion or will die hard, who has a tendency to make comebacks, whether they can pull it off again. But vote on the rewatchable movie bracket. It's up on Twitter, at Gordon Damer. We'll see you tomorrow at 5, 98.7 FM, ESPN, New York. This is the Gordon Damer Show on 98.7 ESPN.